Our lifespan is increasing, but what about our health span, the portion of our lives in which we're healthy? Extend your health span with SRW, Science Research Wellness. SRW is a nutraceutical company that curates the latest science and research to formulate supplements designed to support the structure, function, and processes within our cells that change with age. SRW's cell range line, cell 1, cell 2, and cell 3, constitute the complete cellular system range which supports the nine areas of the cell to change with age, the nine hallmarks of aging. SRW's carefully selected cutting-edge ingredients and formulations support the aging process in a way that previous generations have not had access to. Learn more about the science behind SRW, the nine hallmarks of aging, and how you can find out your biological age by going to srw.co. That's srw.co. SRW, the science of aging well. srw.co. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today we're going to talk about stress. Now, uh, I don't know if our, our, our guest is going to compile uh, all the statistics for us, but uh, stress uh, is an escalating problem in this country. Uh, it's been compounded by COVID, uh, but it was on the rise uh, long before the pandemic hit. And there are about a, you know, dozens and dozens of theories about why that may be. Uh, the rancor of politics in America, violence in America, uh, loss of, uh, shall we say, uh, uh, moral grounding uh, in our uh, schools and parenting and what have you in society in general. Uh, and, of course, the advent of social media. And uh, if you ever wonder why stress uh, is so ubiquitous, well, you know, just go on Twitter for a few minutes uh, if you can stand it. Uh, our guest today is Neil Edward Levin. Uh, he's the Senior Nutrition Education Manager and a product formulator for Now Foods and Protocol for Life Balance. He's one of our go-to experts on a wide variety of subjects because, well, he's an educator. And he goes hither and thither and yon uh, to educate uh, practitioners and the public uh, on issues related to nutrition. He's been doing that for, well, decades uh, he's award-winning, board-certified clinical nutritionist. Uh, he serves on the International American Association of Clinical Nutritionists Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. And without further ado, uh, here's Neil once again. Uh, it's a pleasure having you on the program, Neil. Thanks for joining us again. I'm glad to be back with you. We always have a good conversation and some fun. Indeed, indeed, and and I always I always come away, and as much as you know, I'm steeped in this. You know, I I really live this science. Uh, I always come away uh, learning some amazing new factoids from you. So, uh, have I situated the discussion properly? I mean, is is it uh, borne out uh, that stress and disorders like anxiety and depression uh, are increasing in this country, and particularly among young people? It, it is is that not a, a truism? Well, sure. I mean, young people, they kind of generate their own stress with all the social media and body images and competitiveness with other people in their social sphere. Uh, you know, there's just so much going on there. And 
you know, we, we see that even in going to a, a, a store. Some people still go to stores, and you know the level of attention from somebody who's working in the store, the young people that are often staffing these places, a store or a restaurant, you know, it, it's it's very poor compared to what it used to be. Uh, I, I'm I'm pretty old now, and you know, I remember working in those venues when I was young, and there was a definite emphasis on customer service and attention mm-hmm. to the task. Yes. And nowadays, they just as soon look at their phone and ignore the customers. <laughs> yeah, you notice that too, <laughs> for sure. Yep. But, you know, I, it's just a, a a strange thing that, you know, customer service is, is no longer that important to people who are supposed to offer the customer service. And I remember when I was a retailer back in the 1990s, uh, you know, we we had some of these uh, high school kids working as cashiers and stock people. They were very sharp. They were very aware. They Mm -hmm. were very good employees. They seemed like they could take over the world. And, you know, a generation later, it doesn't seem to be the same level of commitment of concentration. Yeah, indeed. Uh, there are the, uh, the stories of uh, work slowdowns uh, and uh, what's called quiet quitting, which means, uh, you know, we don't owe anything to the company. Uh, they're not paying us enough anyway. Uh, there are plenty of jobs out there. So we're going to kind of sit back on our haunches and, uh, you know, not be that proactive or responsible. So there definitely is that factor. Uh, there's a lot of uh, fear being generated uh, in the media. There's a lot of uh, anger and rancor being generated uh, in the media. I think it serves the interests of uh, certainly political parties to get people to the polls. Uh, there's uh, uh, even the fear of uh, nuclear annihilation because, uh, in fact, there's the biggest land war since World War II uh, that's now transpiring on the European continent. Uh, and so th- there's a lot to worry about, uh, sexual identity, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, so let's look at, you know, before we get to some of the natural solutions and talk a little bit about the brain and, you know, how the brain uh, generates uh, either positive or negative moods. Uh, let's talk about, you know, conventional uh, solutions. And I, I was really uh, not, not necessarily surprised, but I was amazed to learn that, you um, uh, when it comes to uh, antidepressants, uh, the uh, theory that underlies antidepressants, uh, the, the serotonin hypothesis, uh, according to a review of the, of the literature, uh, is, is actually not really borne out. And, and the results of trials with antidepressants, I mean, they work for some people. And, and frankly, I, I, as a physician, I have the option to prescribe them. I really do. But sometimes when I prescribe them, they do provide patients with benefits. But so often uh, they don't, and they create uh, undesirable side effects. Uh, and yet the statistics show that an enormously high percentage of the population, I, I think the figure is nearly a quarter of women, uh, lower percentages of men, but significant double digits of men, uh, are chronically taking uh, antidepressant or anti-anxiety meds. So, so clearly something is wrong with the paradigm. And, you know, they're not getting the relief that justifies this widespread use. Uh, well, that's true. And, you know, some of them start with the childhood diagnoses of being hyperactive yes. or attention deficit or those kind of things. And they start getting on the medications. And then uh, some of those medications are also used by some students uh, part of their Theoretically, theoretically, they think they can get some kind of learning benefit by, by using them. 
you know, but just trying to concentrate. And, you know, there, there's so many better ways to do that, you know, in, including meditation and, and being conscious. And uh, even some religious practices can, can do the same thing, you know, they're trying to achieve through medication. So, mm-hmm. you know, and of course, if they're self-medicating, uh, especially if they're buying stuff from their friends or taking them from relatives or getting them on the street, you know, there's certainly no control over whether they're getting the right thing like, as they would have with a physician such as yourself mm-hmm. uh, overseeing and administering. Right. I mean, I, well, I tell you, if there were a lot of drugs, frankly, when I was growing up, and, and you and you and I know that we both, I think, uh, experienced the, the 60s and the 70s, you know, the the love generation, you know, the hippies and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we were young and in school and, and drugs were pervasive, pot, you know, LSD and, and various medications. But there was nothing like the current scene where you could take a single dose of something in your dorm room and die with a fentanyl. Uh, pan, uh, epidemic. It, it's it's shocking. It's just shocking. Yeah, and I, I would say you know, a, a very small minority of people back in the late sixties, early seventies were really you know hippies in, yeah. in that sense. But you know, when I was in the dorm, there were a lot of people who were jocks and engineering students and stuff with long hair and taking drugs. And as soon as they got out of college, they were done with that. Absolutely. More or less. Absolutely. And I, I would count myself. In, I would count myself among that cadre of people because yeah. uh, I think taking these uh, you know kinds of drugs and taking uh, marijuana and things like that, I mean, uh, supposedly anxiety relieving. Uh, I think that doing that is kind of incompatible with a, uh, a very uh, focused professional career. You know, it, it's it's not going to work. Well, sure. I mean, people like us, we we need good memories. We need to be able to think on the fly and uh, be able to respond to things quickly. You know, that that reaction time is important, that being conscious here and now is very important, rather than being off in our head somewhere. Indeed. So, so let's focus a little bit on uh, brain physiology. And you actually wrote a very nice piece uh, for our uh, uh, newsletter. Uh, actually, it was, I don't think it was in the newsletter, but it's posted at drhoffman.com, uh, which is on... Um, emotional wellness and uh, you can find it there uh, just uh, look under the drop down menu where it says read uh, but go ahead so what are biochemically uh, neurologically what, what's happening when uh, we have these uh, adverse states and conversely what's happening when we have when we're focused when we're uh, when we have equanimity uh, and uh uh, emotional well-being. Well, in terms of stress, there's three components to stress. There's a first stage called an alarm stage where the body is mobilizing its defensive forces. The fight or flight syndrome, everyone's heard of that. That's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So there's a number of hormones and chemicals. They're excreted at very high levels. There's an increase in heart rate, blood pressure, uh, potentially perspiration, respiration rate. In the second phase, which is a resistance phase, the body adapts to the challenge and even begins to resist it. And the energy reserves are really the key there. Uh, how much energy reserves do your systems have in the body to overcome that initial fight or flight and that 
flush of different chemicals coming out, the hormones and chemicals, and uh, the, the system can wear out if it doesn't have the resources to deal with that. And in that case, you can go to the third stage called an exhaustion stage, mm -hmm. where the organism has used up its resources of adaptation energy, it's called. Uh, and these are problems that can lead to long-term issues. You know, mm -hmm. these stresses, flight or fight, is not supposed to be a long-term chronic problem. It's supposed mm -hmm. to be short-term. And if you can't turn it off and correct it with these adaptive mechanisms built into our bodies, mm -hmm. then we're not able to overcome that stress. And there's some real issues, uh, nervousness, overeating, uh, heart rate, blood pressure, uh, obesity, blood sugar control. All these things are subject to being eroded mm -hmm. by constant stress. And these mechanisms are in place actually to protect us from very, very dangerous things. Uh, from, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, violence, you know, intertribal violence. Uh, you know, when, when the, the Cro-Magnons first encountered the Neanderthals and, you know, they, there's kind of like, uh, you know, West Side Story. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or when uh, you you were encountered a, a fierce animal in a hunt, you know, uh, perhaps uh, trying to tackle uh, uh, a trapped woolly mammoth, you know, which is weighed several tons, you know, against your 150 pound human body. Uh, it, these these stress hormones were there for a reason to ensure survival. Now, you know, the dangers are they're not life threatening. Uh, they're they're more like aggravations, like. Oh my God, you know, my computer's not booting up properly. And then you get a flood of these hormones. I actually, you know, recent wrote a, recently wrote an article about device anxiety and how in my anxiety budget, uh, it, it occupies about 20% of my, my daily, uh, fears and anxieties is, you know, are my devices going to work properly? And frankly, these are not like life threatening circumstances, but I think the biochemistry of my response to, uh, you know, a, a dead iPad are probably equivalent to what I would experience in the Stone Age when confronted with a saber-toothed tiger or something, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yes, or it's hard to make fire in the old days and your fire goes out. Exactly, so even things like that, fire? exactly. Like, you yeah, know, right, you're, you're freezing in a, in a cave and, uh, you know, your implements are wet. You know, these are things that really equate to survival. So, uh, all right, so this... This can result in a, in a kind of a burnout scenario. Uh, so in terms of the neurochemistry of that, what's what's happening and what, uh, you know, and perhaps you can give us a lead into how this can be addressed uh, naturally. I mean, we're talking about neurotransmitters. We're talking about stress hormones. Uh, you know, without, we could go on and on about this, but can you give us a, a basic uh, primer on that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's affecting your uh sympathetic and parasympathetic systems. Uh, you've got things like uh, heart rate changes, your, your breathing changes. Uh, you you I mean, really, you can't digest food at that point either. I mean, stress makes it hard to, di to actually digest food because mm -hmm. uh, that's a certain amount of energy that's needed elsewhere. You know, uh, that's one of the reasons everyone's heard the thing about uh, you shouldn't go swimming or do exercise within half an hour of eating because you can't do that physical thing while your body's trying to digest. There's mm -hmm. 
a conflict in where the energy is going. And just with stress, is doing the same thing. There's a conflict. You're, you're making adrenaline and similar hormones. You're making cortisol, a stress hormone. And, you know, these are, again, associated with survival. The blood pressure goes up because the blood vessels are constricting because if you're injured and your blood vessels are narrower, you're not going to squirt out as much blood. You know, it's, it's a basic thing that's built into our bodies from thousands of years ago or longer, obviously. But still in our bodies, uh, we're still having that response to the nightly news or something happening on our phones or something happening at work. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, the heart rate, the, the blood pressure, the effect on blood sugar, you know, these are all continuous with, again, we could generate stress every day just by watching the news and, mm-hmm. and keeping a news channel on. And a lot of people get very stressed by right. that. And as you mentioned earlier, it, it tends to separate us and make us afraid of the other and not realize that what's happening in our local world is much more peaceful and uh, happy and cooperative than what we're seeing in the newspaper, the news, the uh, Twitter, whatever. Indeed. Okay, folks, at this point, let's pause and allow one of our sponsors an opportunity to share a vital message with you. Here it goes. If chocolate is your weakness, the real chocolate decadence of Flava Naturals Performance Chocolate can be your strength. I've been searching high and low for cocoa products that deliver meaningful amounts of healthful flavanols with great flavor and minimal sugar. So I'm thrilled to have found Flava Naturals. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. But you need to eat five or more ordinary dark chocolate bars every day to match the flavanols consumed in most of these studies. Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate Cocoa Powder and beverages deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate. Their secret is sourcing premium, high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. For more information and to order, just go to flavanaturals.com. That's flavanaturals.com. Thanks for listening, and thank you for supporting our sponsors. They're what make Intelligent Medicine a continuing free resource to you. And now back to today's guest, Neil Levin. Uh, so so what are some of the, the natural measures that we can uh, leverage to to address this, this chronic stress? You know, short of taking, you know, an Ativan, Valium, uh, Xanax, I mean, these are the conventional ways of doing it. These are benzodiazepine medications, and they're pretty effective, uh, but uh, they make you sleepy. They make you disoriented. They can ultimately uh, accelerate your cognitive decline, make you more likely to stumble and fall, especially uh, if you're older, break a hip, you know, and that might be a pathway to dying. Um, So uh, we don't want that. That's addictive. Those things are addictive, highly addictive. Um, And uh, so what are some of the potential natural approaches that we can leverage? Well, besides uh, exercise and making sure we have a wholesome diet, so we have the nutrients we need and enough protein, because protein's a key ingredient in getting the amino acids we need to make all these neurotransmitters, enzymes, hormones that mm-hmm, we need. Mm-hmm. 
So you need enough protein and good digestion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stress reduction, everyone knows about yoga, meditation, uh, prayer, uh, sitting quietly, whatever. Uh, being able to calm yourself and, and control your breathing has a role in that too. But beyond that, there are nutritional means, and a lot of them are based on trying to increase the level of what are called relaxing or inhibitory neurotransmitters, uh, which you can get, if you, say, affecting, as you mentioned, the serotonin pathway or the GABA pathway, gamma aminobutyric acid pathway, mm-hmm. uh, things that are more relaxing to the body and are the body's adaptation to the stress and the way the body can manage that stress and reduce it once that trigger is gone. So first, remove the trigger. Second, do what you can, both physically and emotionally, uh, and part of that might involve nutrition, to counteract the stressors. So, uh, for example, the GABA receptors are in the central nervous system. They are responsible for shutting down these nervous signals and being able to have the relaxation we need, the, the, the countering these stressful effects from the stress hormones, etc. So uh, there's a number of products that are used for that. Uh, uh, there are herbs and botanicals. Uh, ashwagandha would be one uh, an, an that's pretty well known. Can, can you explain what an yes, adaptogen it, is for, for our listeners? Because uh, the term is bandied about a lot, but uh, it has something to do with stress. Yeah, technically an, an adaptogen is also called a tonic herb. Uh, and it's an er- herb with multiple actions that are nonspecific. They're not, it's not like a drug where it has one specific action. It has multiple actions that counteract the effects of stress to promote wellness. So they often will work on the GABA system, the serotonin system. They'll work on the adrenal gland and the signaling coming from the pituitary as well, uh, and trying to relax things, to settle them down. Because, you know, we do have that mechanism in our body. It just has to be supported and nourished. So ashwagandha is an Ayurvedic herb from India. Uh, it, it helps the body adapt to temporary physical and emotional stresses while supporting the immune system and actually activates immune cells like lymphocytes. And there are steroidal compounds in there called withanolides, which that name is related to its Latin name of this herb, ashwagandha. And it's very similar in its effect to the Panax ginseng. So these compounds are, are very similar and another adaptogen, the Panax ginseng. Uh, they work on the GABA uh, receptor system. They regulate the immune response to immune challenges. They reduce oxidative stress uh, in various ways and support the body's defense mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So there's clinical validation on those kind of products. Uh, For example, studies with Ashwagandha, 12-week randomized placebo-controlled clinical studies, adults, healthy adults, they take uh, 125 milligrams twice a day or 300 milligrams twice a day. And compared to placebo, they have significant improvements in sleep quality, for example. 
Mm-hmm. Which is certainly, I mean, well, you know, stress what, is one of the major things that interfere with uh, sleep quality. You know, people who can't settle down and relax uh, have a lot of trouble uh, getting to sleep, maintaining their sleep. And, and sometimes I see uh, when we people report sleep problems, I measure their cortisol and I can see that their nighttime cortisol, which is supposed to go down as you relax, uh, remains uh, in the stratosphere. So clearly uh, there, there's an impact on sleep. Uh, uh, you, you, you have formulated a product uh, for a protocol for life balance called clinical stress relief. And I see that it incorporates uh, ashwagandha, but it also has another ingredient. And I have to say that uh, I am far less familiar with that other ingredient. I'm familiar with a lot of things on the scene, but uh, this one uh, throws me for a, a loop a little bit. What, what in, can you tell us about that? Yes, this one is called Lactium, and as the name implies, it's derived from milk. So it's, it's actually a, a milk peptide, part of a protein. Mm-hmm. And it was it was uh, studied for 12 years at, the, at a university in France. And the basic story about this is babies, when they eat, they go to sleep. When mm-hmm. they drink mother's milk, they go yeah. to sleep. Yeah. And they actually lose that ability within a few months. So why is that, even if they keep nursing? And it turns out as the baby's digestive system develops, they digest differently. Mm. And, you know, you've all, I mean, a lot of people who've had children or know about this know that uh, newborns don't have good digestion. They need mother's milk or formula. You have to slowly introduce foods to them at maybe six months, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so the enzymes in the baby's digestive system produce this lactium hmm. peptide. Okay. A peptide's an amino acid chain. Okay. And it, when the digestive system develops more fully, it actually breaks that down into basic amino acids. You no longer have that peptide, hmm. la- which lactium re- represents. So these researchers looking at this and finding out this is what's going on, decided to duplicate the baby's digestive system and use uh, trypsin, which is a pancreatic enzyme that digests protein, to isolate that milk protein. And it's a specific protein called alpha-cazozeprin mm-hmm. from casein, from, from the main milk protein. So they've done a number of clinical studies. They've done uh, nine clinical studies on that uh, with adults. Uh, They give a daily dose typically of 150 milligrams uh, or or 300 milligrams before bedtime. Consistent improvement in sleep efficiency. uh, Confirmed with sleep, you know, putting the electrodes on people and measuring their sleep waves and things Mm -hmm. like that. So they're able to show the clinical efficiency. Uh, the Stroop test, which is a psychological stress resistance test, they've done a couple studies on that as well. And uh, at doses of both 150 and 300 milligrams, they've shown a uh, difference in heart rate after stress. And uh, you know, the, the physiological effects of stress being reduced. Mm-hmm. And, and so for just uh, for sake of argument, you say it's, it's derived from casein. Do, do people who have milk allergies have something to be concerned about? I, I would imagine not if it's uh, broken down and di- sort of digested. Well, we still label 
it as containing milk mm-hmm. because milk's a major allergen. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would suspect people with milk allergies would stay away from it. Even okay. though it's a peptide, it's a digested derivative of milk. Right. I, I think most people are going to avoid it for that reason. Right. I mean, but, sir, I mean, people have anaphylactic allergies. You know, if they, they go under, and I actually once had to minister to uh, a passenger on a plane because he opened up a packet of salad dressing, and it, uh, unbeknownst to him, it, can, it had milk as one of the ingredients, and he actually went into respiratory arrest. And, you know, we landed the plane, and they ran on the tarmac, but we saved the guy. Um but but say someone has lactose intolerance. Please explain to people how that's different from that scenario of extreme milk allergy. It, it's it, people who have yeah, lactose yeah. intolerance. They have poor digestion of milk. A lot of us do. We can't drink, uh, uh, you know, whole milk. We can't uh, uh, take a lot of ice cream, uh, etc. Uh, cottage cheese. What what about those people? Yeah, there's there's a lack of persistence in babies' ability to digest milk sugar. Mm-hmm. And milk sugar lactose, uh, you know, I mean, there are some cultures where it's they, they've been based on milk so long, say the Maasai people from, yep. from Kenya and Africa or certain northern Europeans, uh, they can actually digest the milk sugar far longer mm-hmm. than... The t- traditional than other people in the world, and uh, I, the, even they tend to lose some of that ability to digest it when they're when they're sick. There, there's actually a sulfur component, by the way, to the ability to digest milk sugar. Hmm. And some people think that supplying extra sulfur helps, you know, yeah. sulfur and amino acids. But, but for practical purposes, even though this co- this is called lactium, there is no lactose in this product. Uh, Am I correct in, in assuming that? That's correct. There's okay. no there's no milk sugar, and it takes a certain amount of milk sugar yeah. to trigger that reaction. Right. For example, there's a tiny bit of lactose, the milk sugar, in whey protein isolate. Yeah. But I have not heard in my almost 50 years in the industry of anyone with lactose intolerance right. being able, unable to take whey protein right. isolate. It, now, it's different from like an anaphylactic different. reaction. That's where a minuscule amount, you know, like uh, the the kiss that kills, you know, like a girl kisses her boyfriend who just had a peanut butter uh-huh. sandwich and, you know, she, she goes under because of the infinitesimal amount of peanut that's left on yeah. his, on his, in his mouth. Okay. So well, let me just, cause we want to go to uh, part two. Um, let me just mention that, uh, we're going in part two. We're going to talk about uh, several other nutrients that may have an impact on stress. We're going to talk about uh, myonostal powder, L-theanine, and of course, there's uh, clinical stress relief, which I believe is a combination of ashwagandha and this uh, lactium ingredient. Uh, and they're all available to you at drhoffman.com/slash/protocol-for-life-balance. So, uh, Neil, let's pause for a moment, and then uh, when we return, I want to uh, talk about uh, some of the other uh, plausible ingredients for. Uh, emotional well-being and uh, resilience in the face of stress. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. The subject is supplementation for emotional wellness, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. 